everybody. Welcome to the Macabre Podcast Universe. I'm Jordan. I'm Micah. And we exist to prove people wrong when they say... Sequels are never better, well, than the originals. And what are we covering today, Micah? We are covering a little movie called Sudden Impact, directed by a one Clint Eastwood, and it is in the Dirty Harry series. Fourth installment. Fourth out installment. Out of a total of five. Installments. Yes. Absolutely, and we're here to provide you the best in podcasting entertainment that you can possibly comprehend or think up. Think about the best podcast you've ever listened to. Got it in your head? This one's better. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it is such a... Doesn't it just feel so like July 21st? Oh my gosh, like I can't even describe how much it does. It is so July 21st. Couldn't be more July 21st today. Uh, so happy July 21st to you, uh, boys and girls. It is. And it is that it is totally that day. And, and it feels that way. Boy, it's hot outside, isn't it? Oof. It is a hot July summer. My ice cream's melting. Sure is. Um, and I don't know why you're trying to eat that during the recording. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. And you did a waffle cone too. It's dripping. Uh, hello. soggy now. Here we are. So. We've we've done three of these Dirty Harry movies. We are on the fourth. We uh, both have not seen this movie until last night. Uh huh. We put it in the player, and the music's like three to be exact. Nineteen eighty three. Ten years before a bright eyed boy would enter the world. His name Michael McCaw. Yeah, and it was kind of like, whoa, okay, this might be a wacky movie, but judging by that. Um, I don't know what you thought about it, but I liked this one. I liked it, too. Oh, I, thank goodness. I Because as we were watching, I was like, man, I hope Micah doesn't hate this. Not hate, but I hope Micah isn't as underwhelmed by this as we were with the last one, because I'm really digging this one. Yeah, I dug this one. Um I'll get into why when we get there, um, but there's there's actually a lot of reasons why. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of like remind you, the listener, because it's been a month of Harry, and it's all been pretty dirty. It's been one Harry month. And a dirty month. Um, and the first movie, great. Yeah. Second movie is like, not great, but the story's pretty cool. Yeah. But it just doesn't quite deliver, in my opinion. Third movie... Bad. Just bad. bad. Just bad. And then this one, I'm like, okay, I'm back on board. Uh, I'm into it, um, even though Clint's starting to look old in this movie. Mm -hmm. Not that people have to look young to be in movies. Actually, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, But let's take out, let's do what I like to do before I eat, which is set the table. Go ahead. And as you do it, I'm going to clean this water off of my drawing desk before it gets any closer to the art. Oh, okay. Um, so this movie is directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, and he makes this movie in between Honky Tonk Man and Pale Rider. Having said that, and having seen Pale Rider, uh, Oh, what, you haven't seen Honky Tonk Man? I have not seen Honky Tonk Man, but, uh, Sudden Impact and Pale Rider back-to-back, he must have had sexual assault on the mind, because that is, like... Oh, is the other one about that, too? Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of High Plains Drifter. Actually, I don't remember. There's probably sexual assault in Pale Rider. Okay. Because a lot of Westerns have sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, But actually, I got it mixed up. Um, The screenplay is by Joseph Stinson, who did, of course, City Heat, 
Oh, duh. And stick. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have the story by Earl E. Smith and Charles B. Pierce. And Charles B. Pierce was is kind of interesting because he directed uh, uh, some cult hits, uh, one of which is The Legend of Boggy Creek, which I thought, oh, that sounds dumb. But it's a faux documentary-style film that's inspired by The Legend of Bigfoot. Whoa, that um, sounds good. I like. I want to watch that. Yeah, and he, he followed that up with a bunch of inexpensive films uh, filmed in the southern U.S., including The Town That Dreaded Sundown, based on the story of the Phantom Killer murders in Texarkana. Um, yeah, so... Cool. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the other guy didn't have a Wikipedia page, and I forgot to look up further, but... Uh, last week, the same thing happened, and the person only had the one credit. So I'm imagining it's a similar situation. For e- they Earl just e. went Smith. to his restaurant and gave it to the manager yeah. to give to Clint? One of those guys only has one credit, and it was the enforcer. You, you mean, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. But I'm um, saying that exact situation happened? Where that this guy heard about how the last movie got made? No. And just took his <laughs> or, or are you joking? I'm joking. Oh, my gosh. I can hardly... Uh, see your face because it's covered in ice cream. That's called a callback. <laughs> Still slurping. Uh, okay. So the cinematography is by Bruce Surtees, who did Dirty Harry. So he's back. And then the music is by Lalo Schifrin, who is back. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the music, Jordan. Interesting. Interesting. Because when it started, it was like, yeah, this is, it, tell me this is an 80s movie without telling me this is an 80s uh-huh. movie. And it's like, oof, this is not a great start with the bass. Yeah. Um, real just dated slapping it. Very. And um, by the end, though, I didn't really care. There was, th- th- that bass was kind of throughout, but it was more just the opening um, credit sequence that was really crazy. Yeah. But yeah, there, yeah. Were, there were a couple parts where it was like the cool drums again yeah. in this movie. But yeah, it was kind of interesting because the the first two are very of a piece, then the second one's more jazzy but still similar, and then this one was like different j- yeah. kind of style at all. It was like this is a joke, but it was like borderline Seinfeld um yeah, yeah. theme song. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, the movie comes out December 9th, 1983. Um I saw on on Wikipedia that it was a $22 million budget, but I couldn't, I didn't confirm that because when I went to box office mojo, it didn't have a budget. So I'm not oh. positive about the budget. That sounds right though. Um, $67 million, uh, made, uh, what happened is the two story by credits, um, Mr. Early Smith and Charles B. Pierce, they were working on a screenplay for Sandra Locke, who is the mm, Sandra Sandra. I think it's S O D R A. S-O-N. Oh, I, I really? Let's see. S O N D R A. Oh, Sandra. Okay, so they were l- working on a script for her, and that eventually became this movie. That's how does that work? Uh, well, I actually. Did she ask them? <laughs> well, I, I I don't know exactly how that worked. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, this is her last movie to have a theatrical release. Whoa, she is not old in this movie. No. But so what happened? I'm going to tell you a little bit about her because I found her pretty fascinating. Okay. Um, but before I do, at this point in his career, Eastwood was receiving a sal- salary that included 60% of all film profits, uh, wow. leaving the other 40 for the studio. So uh, we think that he probably earned around $30 million for this movie. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Sandra Locke. <laughs> Uh, Jordan's laughing very hard for you listeners. 
I, I really stumbled through, and for sake of clarity, I had to edit the last, like, two minutes out. So that's why she's laughing. This is take three on trying to explain Sandra Locke. So she is an up-and-coming actress, mm -hmm. and she is getting critical acclaim. People are enjoying her. And um, she, when she started, mm -hmm. right off the bat, her husband and her, I think he was a fiancé at the time, were like, hey, let's shave six years off your age just to be safe. Wow. And she kept I, I that going that her time. career. So, so for she like, was always six years older than what she reported? Yes. Okay. Uh, so that I found interesting. And, and I, I also, this is skipping ahead uh, quite a bit, but for reasons never made clear, her death was not publicly announced uh, and was only confirmed by vital statistics six weeks after she died uh, of the age of 74, which was in 2018. Okay. So um, we have that. Then... She is cast in the Outlaw Josie Wales. Are you seeing this poster? This is a cool poster. Yeah, it's a good movie. I have not seen it. Yeah. Um, I think that's my dad's favorite of all of his movies. I just I just really love that poster. Yeah, it's a great poster. So she gets cast in that movie. Okay. And her and Clint Eastwood start an electric, oh, what do they call it? Affair together. <laughs> okay. Now, she is in a marriage with someone that I, I forgot the term. Um but it, it was called a marriage of convenience. So they're just reaping like reward, like the benefits of being married, but they're not like, they're, they're not like, uh, like their vows didn't mean anything. Well, they're swingers. It, no, no, it's, oh. it's, uh, much more complicated than Brain that. Card. No, uh, <laughs> Who is this guy? stop guessing. I'm about to say his name is Gordon Anderson and he is gay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or was gay. Um, I don't know if he's still alive. Um, <laughs> what does it, I don't know if he's still gay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I wasn't sure if he's alive or not. But he, um, but it sounds like in her later years, she did kind of speak of like, we did like love each other. Uh -huh. and, and um, But like their relationship was never consummated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's um, really interesting. So, the, so. Sorry, do you happen and, to know if he's like in the industry or anything? Uh, he was a sculptor. Oh, interesting. Um, cause yeah, I thought maybe it was like a Hollywood thing. What's his name again? Uh, Gail Anderson, Gordon Anderson, Gordon Anderson. I just want to look him up. Um, yeah. So, but while you're looking up, will you be able to hear what I say? Yes. Cause often that's not the case. Jeez, you're pissed today. Am I pissed? I don't know. Right now you are. Okay. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm listening. Uh, okay. You know what it is? It's actually a me problem. It's just when people aren't looking, I it just seems like they, they can't yeah. hear you. But that's part of what we have to do on this podcast. Should I edit all of that out? No, that's fine. Okay. Um, so she's cast in Outlaw Josie Wales, and then she's in, I believe, six movies with Clint Eastwood. Wow. And Clint Eastwood, uh, they, they have an affair, but Clint Eastwood is in an open marriage at this point. Awesome. And um, I hope people can detect the tone of sarcasm in that. <laughs> and um, so they're there. But but Clint Eastwood doesn't really like when she doesn't work on his sets. Oh, my And gosh. with him. So Ugh. and and she does do some TV. She does a couple of movies during this uh, period. But she's like in, I think, six Clint Eastwood movies. So she's trapped. She, but I mean, these are hits. Yeah, they're hits, but she has no creative control over her own career. Not like yeah. many women did. 
yeah. during that time, but even less so than usual. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly one way to read it. So, and I would potentially read it that way. Here's a question. Uh huh. That you, I don't. Maybe you know the answer to. Uh-huh. So, if this movie Sudden Impact was her last theatrical release. Yeah. Did their relationship end by the time this movie came out? And like she couldn't get any other jobs because of this weird relationship. That's what I thought. I looked very cursory, and it didn't seem like that. Okay. It just seemed like. She it seemed like she went to do some directing and then maybe her career just kind of petered out. She is in stuff beyond this movie, very little. Yeah. And, and not theatrical no, 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 releases. No. Um so yeah. Um and she's in the every which way but loose movie and any which way you can movie. Um <laughs> no, no, more reasons to watch it, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh that's all my notes for oh that's the movie. Man, I wish you had more about that. Okay, this Every Which Way But Loose is a cool poster, too. Yeah, that's what you said last time. I did? (laughs) Yeah. It's like like a romance poster, but instead of a woman draped over him, it's it's an orangutan. (laughs) So what more questions do you have about this? Well, I I guess I am just just curious if, yeah, like the question I just asked. Like, what? why was this her last theatrical release? What happened to the relationship? Okay, I'll try and find those, but you have to you have to cover me. So she, the other things that she's in, uh, I mean, Micah mentioned she's in several um, Clint Eastwood movies, but she's also in um, a lot of TV episodes here and there, like Kung Fu, Barnaby Jones, an episode of Planet of the Apes. Um, so a lot of stuff leading up to, I guess, Clint. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like uh, this description on here. Uh, it says in 1978, Locke and Eastwood appeared with an orangutan named Clyde in the year's fourth highest-grossing film. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like they're in this movie that has an orangutan. No, they appeared with. They, <laughs> yeah. Pat Hingle plays Chief Jennings. Um, he is all, he is the commissioner in Batman. I thought he looked familiar. Oh yeah, he's so, Gordon. Yeah, he's Commissioner Gordon in Batman. He's also in um the Quick and the Dead, Hang 'em High, uh Batman and Robin. Same Commissioner Gordon, um, Talladega Nights. Wow, and a, a lot of okay. a lot of stuff. And then Paul Drake plays Mick. He's like the bad guy at the end. Um. He's also in Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, just has a hold up man number one. Um, he's in Hardcastle and McCormick, Midnight Cabaret, Silk Stockings, and a lot of 90s and 80s shows. Audrey Neenan plays Ray Perkins. That's the bad lady. Bad guy. Oh, yeah. L- uh, bad lady guy? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She was so good in this movie. Yeah. She, yeah. She's she was pretty, like pretty like, nasty too good yeah um she's also in ghost town somewhere in time the departed oh i've been there somewhere in time yeah i think we're somewhere in time right now Uh uh-huh um april and winter she's in the departed yeah wow okay um crashing divorce blue blood a lot of shows oh wow so she's still working yep uh let me interrupt you okay so in 1986 so in so in eighty five, Eastwood directed Locke in Amazing Stories, an episode of the show. In eighty six, she makes her directorial debut, produced by Eastwood. 
and she was asked why she hadn't um, been in his movies lately, and she said, I wasn't right for the roles. Says Clint. That's what she said. Says Clint. Well, okay, yes. Uh, and then she directed another movie, which Cecil and Ebert gave two thumbs up, called uh, Impulse. And then she had a long interruption in her career due to legal difficulties and health issues. What are the legal difficulties? Well, I can find that out too. But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to go to personal life and I'm going to find out. Because the fact that she has a, a very interesting marriage, it's like, are those legal difficulties? Yeah. So, okay, I'm just reading this verbatim, okay? Yeah. Uh, Eastwood and Locke were still co- cohabitating when in the latter half of the 1980s, he secretly fathered another woman's two children, a fact that did not come to a light for almost 20 years. <gasps> Despite her affirmed ignorance, Locke sensed growing tension in the relationship around 1985, recollecting that, although I definitely still loved Clint, I didn't have much like him. I didn't very much like him. In retrospect, she gathered, either he changed from white to black, or I had been living with someone I didn't know. And then she confronted Eastwood over his uh, passive-aggressive behavior, eliciting an estrangement between the two. Locke testified that... After she and Eastwood made their final joint appearance on January 6th, ooh, a, a, a day which will live in infamy, they spent exactly two nights together without intimate contact. Um, she testified like their relationship yeah. was brought to court? Well, it just says palimony suit. What's a palimony suit? Well, I'll look that up. <laughs> we are going to have to go down the rabbit hole. Uh, I mean, matrimony. Palimony. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. Compensation paid by one member of an unmarried couple to the other after separation. Oh, okay. So, so it what went... a specific situation to be in. Yeah. So, like, they're together. She's married to this other guy, but she's basically with Clint. And yeah, like, like, yeah, he has an open marriage, but it sounds like they had a really serious relationship. Yeah. Um. Although I, I can't imagine someone can actually have a serious relationship in that situation. But um, <laughs> because of how serious it was, by the time they split up, it's as if they were divorcing. Yeah. And like had assets to well, divvy up. Let me go further. Okay. okay, so we're gonna we're airing the dirty laundry on this episode yeah. because during their fourteen years as de facto husband and wife, um, I think actually at this point she had divorced her husband. Oh, okay. Um, I think. Uh it's hard to learn about an entire person's life in five minutes, but um Locke and Eastwood had lived in seven homes and acquired four. Locke sought half of Eastwood's earnings and an equal division of property, requesting title to the house in Bel Air and to the Gothic-style West Hollywood place. She also asked Judge Whatever um, to bar Eastwood from the Bel Air house. Whoa! This so is they nasty. they battled in courts for nineteen months, <gasps> wow. and then she developed breast cancer. Wow. Um. And then the breakup affected her social life. Her closest friends had been the wives of Eastwood's colleagues. Yeah. Um, and so Locke's friendships with the women gradually faded as their husbands ghosted her. Uh, so I'm, yeah, that Dang. makes me feel like, so yes. So by the end of this, it's like, why would you want to stay in Holly, like stay in that profession? Yeah. And even, even by just proxy, like I'm sure that's hurting her auditions and roles and stuff like that. Jeez. Um, and then there's a fraud suit between 1990 and 1993. Warner brothers rejected more than 30 scripts that Locke pitched, um, and refused to let her direct any of their in-house projects. Um, yeah, so she began to seek corroboration and came across incriminating printouts from WB's bookkeeping records. Okay, Locke contended that the money WB pretended they were paying her came from Eastwood's pocket and was laundered through the operating budget of Unforgiven. 
What? Okay. What? I'm, I'm keeping reading here. In 1985, she sued him Wait, again. Wait, I'm sorry. Just to clarify, she thought she was getting money from Clint, but it was being laundered through the movie's production? Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. So, uh, but I don't know if that's true yet. Hopefully this will tell us. In June 1995, she sued him again for fraud and breach of fiduciary duty. According to Locke's attorney, Peggy Garrity, Eastwood committed the ultimate tr- betrayal by arranging the bogus deals as a way to keep her out of work. Uh. <laughs> Garrity added that Eastwood had held out the allegedly counterfeit deal like a dangled carrot to persuade Locke to drop the early pal- palimony suit. Locke said that she was stunned and outraged at the way I've been tricked and cheated a second time. The case went to trial in 96. One juror disclosed that the panel sided with Locke by a 10 to 2 vote. Whoa, um, before whoa. any court decisions could be made, Locke settled the case with Eastwood for an undisclosed amount of money. The outcome, Locke said, sent a loud and clear message to Hollywood that people cannot get away with whatever they want just because they're powerful. According to Locke, in this business, people get so accustomed to being abused, they just accept the abuse and say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, it isn't. For his part, Eastwood waved the lawsuit off as a dime novel plot, con- continuing, it's all about money, about getting something for nothing. He accuses Locke of using her cancer to gain the jury's <sighs> sympathy. She plays the victim very well. Unfortunately, she had cancer, and so she plays that card. Locke brought uh. a separate action against Warner Brothers for allegedly conspiring with Eastwood to sabotage her directorial career. As it happened with the previous lawsuit, this ended in an out-of-court settlement in 99. By then, Locke had fired Garrity and hired another representative. The agreement with Warner Brothers, Locke said, was a happy ending. I feel elated. This has been the best day in a long, long time, she told reporters on Courthouse Steps. The case is used in some modern law school contract textbooks to illustrate the legal concept of good faith how many how many huh that's wild that yeah i'm glad you you pushed me on that to to keep going because that's wild and and folks i was reading from um wikipedia yeah you know and that's not always reliable but something like that and there were there were so many citations that it's like yeah that that's pretty much you can rely on that Jeez, that's that's bonkers. I just had the image flash <laughs> yeah. in my head that that famous image of Nicole Kidman um, walking out of just having divorced. Tom yeah, Cruise. And she's like almost jumping in the oh air. Oh my gosh, it is. Such, oh my gosh, yeah. That also made me think of, um, you know how like with the Woody Allen Mia Farrow stuff, like yeah. he like kind of made sure that she couldn't work. I didn't know that because but of everything that happened. That makes and sense. And it like so. It, oh, ugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Very, so this is the last time they're working together. Yeah. Uh, in this degree. I well, I guess Well, there's you a know couple that, years like their relationship yeah. didn't end here. There's a couple yeah. years For, beyond that. But. Last movie. Yeah. So um it does make sense though, um, like kind of changing subjects because they totally had chemistry in this movie. Yes. In a way that um the other women that he's had in these movies, partially because they're so poorly written. Yes. He hasn't had chemistry, but he, there was like genuine chemistry between the uh-huh. two. So when I, when I saw a picture of them together and then was like, wait, what? And started looking this up. I was like, Oh, that makes sense Yeah, because they look, they, they, they have a rapport, you know? Yeah. A long one ahead of this movie. Yeah. That's fascinating. That is pretty fascinating. Um, do I have? Do I need to cover all the bad guys? Because it's pretty much our cast. No, I I, th- I think we're good, right? Okay, yeah. Um, should we dive in? Let's do it. So the movie begins, and okay, we talked about the 
Okay, we talked about the music, but I will say when the music was playing and then it said music by Lalo Schifrin, you and I were both like, what? Yeah. We were very confused. Yeah. But then and we sh- a little apprehensive. Yeah, I thought, when when I put in the DVD and the menu played and it had that music, I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Like, really bad. Yeah, and my expectations have lowered with each movie because you had mentioned that the scores on them just progressively go down. Yeah. Um. So... It was probably for the best that I went in with lower expectations. Yeah, because, the, yeah, this one, this one's definitely better than the last one. This one is probably my second favorite one. Um, it, 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 so the story is just so much more like they know what's happening in the story. Yeah. And I, I really think, I really think the, like the first two, uh, as much as the movie, of course, relies on you, you, being into Harry and like yeah. wanting to watch Harry, like they they made compelling villain yeah stories, and the third movie did not have a compelling villain story. No, this one for me, besides the first movie, um, has the most compelling villain. Very compelling. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Um. And so th- uh, this time it was like okay, I'm like very curious where this is gonna go. Yeah. And I do think um, Sandra uh-huh. was great. She was so good. Really, really great. Yeah. Um, okay, so the, the second, the next scene after the credits, there's a car parked and there's a man and a woman getting down Uh in a car and then her hand goes to his crotch Uh and it was like, okay. Yeah. And then she pulls out a gun, shoots his crotch, shoots his head and walks away. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. But they're really simmering with it because she gets out of the car, goes, looks out at the bay, the bay before, yeah. and you think she's going to throw the gun. But she doesn't. But she doesn't, And yeah, then so. she looks almost directly at the camera, kind of old Hollywood, like, uh-huh. kind of thing, and and the, the lenses are nice, and, Man, like, it, it, the movie looked a lot better. This movie was shot probably the best out of, like, my, like, I just really like how this movie was shot. Yeah, Claire there's was something, not like. sleepwalking through this movie, directing or acting. No, there's something uh, about the first movie that I kind of like the kind of just setting up a camera and just letting it play out. I do like that. It feels a little bit more documentary. Yeah, a little documentary, a little grittier. But this one was a little bit like, oh, let's light light the scene a little interesting. And and, and the way she like almost looks directly in the camera. I was like, okay, this is cool. So yeah, I feel like uh, many, many, if not most of the shots in this movie, and I, I am not good at lens stuff besides yeah. your split diopter, but um, <laughs> it seems like they were using like an ultra wide lens, but not in the tr- tr- conventional way that you would use it. Yeah, so I, I think, I think my understanding is they have a, a very wide lens, um, probably like a, maybe like a 70 millimeter lens or something okay. like that. And then they're using it for close-ups, yeah. so it distorts pretty much anything that's not in focus. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can lead to, like, even the edges of the frame blurry. look blurry and strange. I feel like there were also just a lot of split diopter shots in this movie. Oh, I don't think I caught that. I feel like I saw that that almost foggy line in the middle of the screen. Yeah. A lot. Love that. Me too. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah. So, she. Th- that's our opening scene. And then we get to Dirty Harry. Yeah. Is this does he immediately go to the coffee shop? Is that our No, first? this is where he goes to the courtroom. He goes to the courtroom oh. first. So I'm yeah. gonna look up his uh speech that he tells the guy when he's in the elevator. Yeah, the the yeah. dog pooped one. Yeah. Um so he he's uh 
goes into court. This this judge is presiding. It's a murder trial. And, well, it seems like it's almost like a, not even a grand jury because it didn't seem like there was a jury there. But it's almost like the judge was deciding if this would go anywhere. Uh, uh-huh. Because she determined that there was no, not enough actual evidence to convict or even charge this person with murder. Well, the, the, the evidence is inadmissible because... Because there was no search warrant? Yeah, he, 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 got, it, he got it through uh, not, the, not the proper means. Yeah, and he, like, he basically searched this guy without probable cause, even. Which like, is so funny, because Harry's sitting there, and he's like acting so surprised. And I'm like, you should know this by yeah. now, dude. Like, you have to get your but search warrant. I like that the... The judge even threatens the prosecutor that's like, I'm going to be talking to the district attorney about you, like yeah. to the prosecutor. So it's like seeing that it's affecting other people's jobs. <laughs> yeah. um, I like how the prosecutor acts toward Terry too, where, yeah. he, where he's kind of saying what you're saying. It's like, you know, yeah, you know how this works. Yeah. So this guy gets off on murder. <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> sentence. He's, he's acquitted <laughs> for murder. And him and his pals are just so smug about it. And are like, he, 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 he. And they're um, walking out of the courtroom. They all get into the same elevator. And then Harry, they're like, they're like, hey, now you'll think twice about crossing me, right, Harry, or something yeah. like that. And then Harry grabs him in the elevator, pulls him to the side. And, and before I say this line, I just want to point out, remember when we started this whole thing, I talked about how my dad would imitate uh-huh. Clint Eastwood and do the make my day speech and all of that stuff. Not well, the make my day line. And then the, uh, do you feel lucky speech? And, and a man's got to know his limitations. We had him on, he did it, you know, but how come he never did this and said, listen, punk to me, you're nothing but dog shit. You understand. And a lot of things can happen to dog shit. It can be scraped up with a shovel off the ground. It can dry up and blow away in the wind, or it can be stepped on and squashed. How come you never said that to me, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great one-liners in this movie. Well, okay, so this was another thing that I really liked about the movie, and I actually saw Roger Ebert said something like this. Like, he put it in a way that made sense, where it's like, it, it's kind of like a dirty, hairy movie without all the boring stuff. <laughs> sure. So he was like, I really liked it. They took out, like, all the stuff that is not fun to watch. They, they trimmed the fat. But the one-liners are back, and they're better than ever. Um, and then the action's back, and it's probably better than it's been since the first movie. Um, the action? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all it's all just a little, like, you know, occasionally you get a movie where someone returns to a property, and they go, okay, we know what people liked about this. And you watch it, and you're like, like this movie, you're like, yeah, you did know what we liked about it, and yeah. you emphasize those things. More often than not, it's usually that people being like, we know what you like, and then you watch a movie, and you're like, those aren't the things that people liked about this. Yeah. But for, for this, they did nail that. Yeah. Um. So then he goes to the coffee shop. Goes to the coffee shop. This is, this is a great scene. Yeah. Um. He he's goes here every day. So he doesn't he doesn't even like look at it's you know, he walks in and the lady knows to get him coffee. So he buys a paper, walks in and is just reading the paper as the woman is like staring at him, pouring uh-huh. coffee, puts the coffee on the counter and then it start du- starts dumping sugar like but is dumping sugar for like 30 seconds into his coffee, like staring at him like screaming, "Look at me." Uh-huh. Without screaming. Did you figure out what was going on? I did. I did because that well, cuz when she started pouring sugar, remember I was like, "Is this a joke?" But then she kept doing it, and she looked very concerned. Yeah. So I knew, and then it kept cutting to the, uh, 
to the bad guys. Yeah. So, um, I was so, a naive Mike. I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, everyone's this guy just likes a lot of sugar. In they're, his they're just thinking this is funny. And and everyone's noticing because she's pouring the sugar for so long. Oh, Micah, come on. <laughs> I'm smarter than that. You are smarter than that. Uh, baby brain. Maybe you're going through a dumb phase um, because, well, I'm saying <laughs> that because I miss a lot of things in movies, too. It You certainly do. So maybe yes. we just can never be on the same page. Yes. And that's actually how our marriage has lasted all these years. Oh. Because we make up for the other. Oh. Anyway, he gets his coffee, walks out. Drinks it, spits it out because it's disgusting, and turns around and is like, what? He actually says, what? And sees that the open sign has been flipped closed. Uh-huh. And all the bad guys in there are like, okay, it's a stick-up. So they start harassing people, robbing the place, and then Clint comes in through the back, silent-like. Yeah. And... Then they start shooting it up. But it, I loved I loved all that where he he's like, I've been coming here every day for 10 years. And whatever that lady's name is, like. She always pours me my coffee. My large black coffee. Black coffee yeah. No sugar. Yep. And he's he's like, and I, I just thought I'd come back and complain about the service. Yeah. <laughs> and then he is, you know, it's a shootout because it's dirty hairy. He's just shooting anybody. Well, he's shooting the bad guys, but it doesn't matter if there's a hostage nearby or not. Right, he's right. shooting them. And then we get to the last guy who is holding the waitress hostage. And he's Harry says, go ahead, make my day. Yes. So didn't know it came from this movie. Right. Yeah. I um, And I would always hear, I think my dad would say, go ahead, punk, make my day. I think I would too. I think people have like conflated that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is when you and I mentioned like. We thought that he like said all these lines like in all the movies. Like yes. it was like his catchphrase, but these have been spread out. Yeah. That's um, pretty wild. Yeah. To yeah. have that many catchphrases throughout a mo- throughout a series. Because this is I mean, I-, I saw on Wikipedia this is like the number five or number six like movie line. Wow. It's a it's it is truly yeah. just so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, on AFI anyway. Yeah. A little burp in the mic for you folks at home. You ASMR heads at home. <laughs> <laughs> so he saves the day, but classic Dirty Harry style causes, um, I heard said Dirty Harry style, and I thought I said Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> he causes a bunch of damage, so he gets in trouble, Yeah, of course, by the chief and the lieutenant and blah, 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 who are grilling him as per usual. Yeah. We've seen it You're before. off homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually make him take a vacation. But so while he's doing his vacation, he goes to a crime boss and he, I like this a lot. He goes to this crime boss's uh, daughter's, daughter's wedding. wedding. And then he goes up to him and he says, hey, there was this woman who was killed and she had secrets about a crime boss. And she said all this stuff. And the guy's going, why would you tell me this? You know, I don't know what you're talking about. And the implication is that the crime boss was sleeping with this woman and he was telling her the secrets. She was his favorite. So he yeah. told her all these things. Yeah. And so then he's holding, then he pulls out of his, cause the guy's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Sounds like she's dead. Who cares? But uh-huh. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then he pulls out these pages and he goes, maybe she was smart enough to write it down. And maybe she was smart enough to give that stuff to a detective. Yada, yada, yada. The guy has a heart attack. I believe he dies. Does he die? Well, maybe they don't ever say. Okay. And then he walks over to the maitre d', hands her the pages, and uh, they're blank. Uh Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah. That's classic. That's a a dad And I like when he shows up and the hostess is like, 
diva reservation, which I was confused by this, but yeah. I don't need to get nitpicky about it. Um, but you know, she's like, do you, do you have reservations? And he, these two henchmen dudes show up right away to prevent him from coming in. And he's like, yeah. Do you know the, the emergency number for the hospital? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to need you to call it now because a couple of people are going to be like black and blue yeah. in two seconds or something. Just more, more great one liners. Yeah. But so, then yeah. he's sent on like a real vacation, right? Well, he, or not really. So this happens and he gets in trouble again. This is the, at this point, they might be forcing him to make, take a vacation. So then the next scene or two or whatever, he is seen like leaving a building. Um, and those, the mob dudes like have been, have tracked him down and they're going to, they're shooting him up. Right. Right. And, that, and so he, um, they, they chase him. He with the Molotov cocktail. No, that's not the henchmen. Don't do that. The mob guys don't do that. That's the kids that do that to him. Hmm. So basically, they're, in this first act, they're just showing that they're always commenting on how death follows Harry. Yeah. But it's funny because in these situations, I mean, maybe some of these, of course, ways that he did it as a as a police officer is not above board. It's not yeah. by the book. Um, but his claim for the mob boss is like, we've been investigating this for like months and months and months. I'm just trying to like get it out of the stalling phase. <laughs> yeah, right. Um and then the the cafe shoot up, it's like, well, that that one's pretty like you maybe we could have done it differently. Yeah. But yeah. whatever. Well, and showing, the mob one, they they do say like, we had surveillance on this. We were building a case. And he's like, nah. Not good enough. Was taking too <laughs> long. But what they're showing basically in this first act is that yes, death follows him, but all these people are tracking him down because everyone, like all the bad guys in San Francisco at this point have a ven- personal vendetta against him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And them even trying to kill him results in their own deaths. Right. So he has the shootout with the mob dudes and they all die. Right. And then soon after that, those kids from the first scene of the movie in the courtroom track him down and start beating up his car as they're driving. It's a pretty crazy scene. And yeah. they throw Molotov cocktails in his car. He continues driving the car. Yeah. To he goes to a pier. I thought he was just gonna drive his car <laughs> into the really water to get it to stop too. being on fire. <laughs> um but he stops the car, get reaches into his car to pick up one of the cocktails that did not explode and throws it at the kids. Yeah. To which they go into the water and, and then die. In classic dirty hairy form, if you drive into water, you die. You're dead. Even though even if it's just a twenty foot drop. Yeah. Um but meanwhile, the killer, the girl she goes and visits her catatonic sister mm-hmm. at a place, and she says, I, I found one of the, the old men, and I killed him. Mm-hmm. And, and you, that, They still don't explain why. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, this is guess. pretty interesting. Yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, clearly my mind was not working at full capacity because I was like, I have no idea what's going on you right now. You couldn't even guess why she would want to kill a man? I, I, well, I didn't know if it was like a psychopathic thing. Oh, or like where she's just well, like she, the way she was talking though was that they definitely had a history with this man. I don't. I just don't think my brain was functioning at full capacity. I don't think so either. <laughs> um, and then Harry goes to a fire. Like he goes out into the woods mm-hmm. and fires his gun, and that's when you think he's being stalked by the the actor who plays Mustafa uh-huh. and. Uh, the the pimp in the second movie and then the the guy who he says how many shots do i have you know in but the now first he's a new character i yeah. think he's a i think he's officer. his partner he's an inspector or but something. I, i'm not sure but um he so by this time harry knows about the murder 
that we saw in our opening scene with the lady. Like he's been on the crime scene and stuff. Yeah. Um, so he is investigating it kind of whether or not he's on homicide and his, this guy comes where he's out in the woods shooting where we get to see the, this really cool new gun that Harry has. Yeah. Um, and the guy says, I think I can help you push you in the right direction yeah. of this investigation, but you got to go on a trip. Yeah. And then he gets set on vacation, he, vacation after the Molotov cocktail incident. But his vacation is technically work. Well, yeah, They're yeah. It's down to him. San Paolo. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, well, there's been another murder over there. You can check it out. Yeah. Same, same way shot in the crotch shot in the head. Or is it? I think he just happens to be there and the Yeah, that might not have happened yet. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet. Because then But the guy that was killed, the first guy that was killed was from there. So sure. that's that's oh, why that's, he was told that's to why go he's good. Yeah. yeah. And then um the the woman, she is gonna paint the carousel. That's how she like makes money. She's an artist. Mm -hmm. And then she she's gonna paint the carousel and the person who's showing it to her, it's like a beaten down carousel, she she's like, I'm gonna make old things good again uh and you're like oh okay creepy um and then she has a flashback where she is very like, cool flashback okay go take what it. i mean by is she's on the she it, she's on the boardwalk she goes down to the beach and is looking under the pier yeah and it gets a really big close-up on her eyes yeah and then her eyes are like the sky for a while yeah as we're kind of seeing yes. like carnival or uh, pier rides and stuff then the flashback's not great because it's sad. Yeah. Um, but we get her backstory on yeah. what her motivations. Um, yeah. So years ago, she was at a party. Um, although I'm, they still didn't quite explain everything yet. Yeah. Um, but her and her sister were at this party under the pier with all these people drinking and all this stuff. They just did not look like they wanted to be there at all. Yeah. Um, but there were her and her sister were sexually assaulted by everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So it explains her sister's state, catatonic state. Yeah, and, and it's kind of motivations. a. I mean, it is kind of a brutal scene. It, it is. It, it it went on longer than I was expecting. I, I don't know. I, I I don't feel like it was uh, like oh I I don't think this should be in the movie or anything like that to yeah. to me um, because it really provides great motivation and and um, it's great. Like, like it's, it's a, it's a well put together story. I yeah, think, I think so. And, too. and you know, a lot of times like this sort of storyline can be a crutch, yeah. especially when male writers are writing it. Um, I, it just didn't feel like that to me in this way. It felt, I, I think because her performance is so good and she actually has like some agency and some interesting yeah. things in the movie. It didn't feel like that to me. I, I agree. But, um, yeah, so now she's going to, you figure out she's going to pick off all of these guys. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the lady. Yeah, and one thing, so my, I was being sharp-minded here, okay, when I saw this scene, I was like, okay, I know how this movie's going to end. And it's going to end with, and I was a little bit wrong, but not really, it's going to end with, like, her and Harry down to the last guy, and he's going to be like, go ahead and shoot him. Oh, okay. Which, that's not what happened. He kills the guy. But then he doesn't turn her in and says, I'm pretty sure that guy killed all those other mm -hmm. guys. Mm -hmm. So I was still, I'm still smart, friends. Okay. And, uh, you know, part of it is this weather. July 21st oh, is it's such so a hot, hot now, now day. Your ice cream's melting. I, it's weird that yours was melting and mine wasn't for most of this. 
but I finished mine. I haven't you, started you mine. Start eating fast. Yeah, you 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 keep looking down like I actually have ice cream. Well, I kind of want some. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have to talk about it, Jordan. What? We have to talk about the 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 elephant in the room, if you will, on this movie. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, I don't remember. There is oh the dog an animal in this movie. <laughs> it is a bulldog, English. And they, About the ugliest dog you've, you could ever they see. They somehow found the ugliest dog I've ever seen. And they actually found the two ugliest dogs in the world because one was obviously female, and obviously one was had obviously just male. given birth, or, yeah. or was about to, and the other one was obviously male. With a ginormous hog. Giant, like the biggest I've ever seen on a dog. And, and it, then with the, the female, it was like, she's about ready to pop, I think. Yeah. And and the the male he stuck out his back leg straight when he would pee and he pees twice and, and in the, the movie. The fir- it was just like not even white. It was basically pink. Yeah, it was gnarly. It was a gross. And I like English dog. bulldogs. Oh, it was disgusting. And his reaction. So he get he checks. Although I would remote. never want one because they have snot problems oh, and they I have snot all over ever their want face. That kind of dog, which is nasty. No. Um, Sorry, Jack O'Hara. <laughs> they. Um, so okay, okay. So he checks into his motel and a po- like he enters his room and immediately like falls over and lets out like a uh. And it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. what's going on? And then they cut to the dog and it's like oh appropriate reaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who gave him this dog? Uh, Horace, the his friend that from told the woods. Him. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because I couldn't figure it out the entire movie. Yeah, it was it was weird. <laughs> it was weird, and I just thought like I like how he calls the dog a meathead though. <laughs> yeah. So this was after Any Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. And I think Clint Eastwood Clint must Eastwood's have... an animal lover. He must have been like, let's get another animal in there. Um, but yeah, so he he takes a jog with this dog. Uh-huh. Which I'm like, if you're taking a jog with this dog, you're, you're going you're trying, around the block. You're That's trying it. to kill the dog. Yeah. You're, you're not... This is not going to be um, a dog that keeps up with you. And it also, like makes it look like Clint Eastwood's maybe even older because the dog is keeping up with them. <laughs> That's funny. It, they run across the killer. And cause her to fall off her bike. Which was pretty goofy. That was yeah. pretty goofy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that that's their meat cute. Yeah, the dog farts. Oh, my gosh, the dog farted. And it, fe- it almost felt like that was just captured on set. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> this For dog's people, a truly wretched animal. Just a little window into our lives. Um you, as everyone knows, dog farts are like the smelliest, worst farts in the world. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. When we got Gilmore, I have never audibly heard, have heard a dog fart as often as often, Gilmore farts. Yeah. Daily. At least daily. Although it seems like a little less most, more recently. Yeah, but, but I mean like loud, loud farts. Like human farts. Yeah. Not, not loud like when you get a loud fart, but yeah. like loud enough that it's like, bah. Well, sometimes you know. they sound like straight up human farts. Yeah. Sometimes there's been a little confusion between each other that we've had to kind of argue <laughs> yeah, who about. Yeah, farted. But he, they don't really smell. Not usually. Yeah. When when they're he I mean when they're silent but deadly. Yeah. That's when they smell. But it, it's just hilarious cuz with humans there's there's so much shame involved with farting. Sometimes the Gilmore will fart and he'll look behind him like, did I do that? <laughs> but I also love when he's just like laying there and he just farts and it's just like, there's no change in his tempo. 
You know what I mean? Because like yeah. with a human, it's like, oh, did anyone hear that? Or no, you make no a big shame. show out of it or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, that's, so then she, yeah. then Clint goes to this bar. He meets the bad girl. Yes. From the, the attack. And I think two of those dudes are bad guys. Are bad yeah. With them too. But yeah. He, he kicks her in the ass. He does literally. kick her in the ass. And um, yeah, she is a train wreck of a person. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And like we've said, her performance is just incredible. Yeah. She's so unlikable. Um, but it's like, she's that cl- kind of like classic person that is just mean uh-huh. and gross and yeah. thinks that everything is about them and everything's owed to them. Yeah. And like, they, like, she's like queen of this castle of this town. Yeah. In the seedier parts. Yeah. So it's like when she goes to Clint and is like, you know, offering herself to him. Right. He's like. I don't think so. And <laughs> yeah. she immediately doesn't understand and is pissed about it. Right. Um, but yeah, he tells them <laughs> that that guy from the beginning of the movie is killed. Uh-huh. Um, to which everyone starts laughing. Yeah. Um, and he leaves, right? Yep. And, uh, and then they're going to go, she's going to go through and like warn the other attackers. Yeah. And by this point, I think, um, I guess, uh, we can call them rapists. Attackers oh, yeah, almost are. makes it feel like they it's are. not that bad. These are bad guys. They're very bad. Very bad. No good. Yeah. Um, uh, by this point, um, Harry had been to the police precinct and ever or station yeah. and like has been set up there and went into the chief's office and noticed one of the pictures on the wall, like has all these people in it. And one of them, I think he recognizes one of them as the victim. Yeah. Uh, the first victim. So I think he, 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 you know, becomes interested in who are these other people in the picture. Uh, the then, chief Sud is in the picture who we've we seen as one of the, the attackers. Son, we, I think, I think he asked the guy and the guy's like, Oh, that picture of his son and his friends or something like that. Oh, I, I didn't know who was his son until it was like shown. No. At the end oh, of the so movie. who's smart now, huh? Oh, brother. But so being a good detective that he is, is like, let, who are these other people in the picture? Yeah. Uh, then it cuts to this guy and this is a funny scene as well. He's fishing, he's fishing on the beach and, and he's like 50 yards away from the shore. I don't know why he's so far away. (laughs) It's not about to be high tide or anything. (laughs) We were like audibly laughing. Yeah. Um, and, and my phone auto corrected it to 59 yards from the shore. So I think he might've been about 59 yards. Nine yards. Oh, I don't know. Bad Uh, joke. Girl comes up, shoots him in the crotch, kills him. Mm-hmm. So now there's been two murders. Uh-huh. And so Hall- Halla- Hallican- Callahan, he investigates. They're all investigating. You know, you have the classic, like, police forces clashing. But, like, the chief Don't tell is, me, the big chief city is guy. involved, which is just unusual. That, like, yeah. how, like, he's inserting himself into this these situations, which peaks his suspicions even more. Yeah. Um, and then... Callahan comes home and a guy tries to kill him, but Meathead thwarts the killing. Yeah, it's one of those mob dudes. Yeah. So even even though he gets out of t- gets out of dodge, he still can't escape. People are just trying to kill him all the time, and yeah. he gets in trouble even for that. Yeah. And he gets in trouble with this police force because the day that he arrived, he r- drove through the town chasing a ro- a guy who was robbing a place. Oh, that's right. I f- didn't, didn't. So he write just that he can't down. not be attracted or things attract to him maybe, that are bad things. Maybe ha- Dirty Harry is not just, you know, 
a parable about the police force. Maybe it is he is like a Greek god of mischief or something, and everywhere mm. he goes, mischief and chaos is is attracted to him. I like to think of him as Pigpen. Um, you know, it's you know he's dirty Harry, so he's dirty. Yeah. So if we were to illustrate him, well, he, ha- he does have clouds of dust in the movie. Yeah, so he would be Pigpen, and all of the the dirt flying around uh-huh. him constantly is all of the crime, and he can never get rid of it. Hey, you know, that that works better than my stupid Greek one. I was tr- the Greek <laughs> joke I was trying to make. Um, yeah. So then, then we get really introduced to like the real, real bad guy, uh-huh. who's like the worst of the worst, and he's he's scummy. He's scummy. He's icky, icky. So he gets a phone call from the lady, and he's not fun scum. He's no, not he's like Robert like... Pattinson in Good Times no. scumbum. He's like scum, scum. And he gets a call from the lady warning him of... Actually, Pattinson's kind of gross in that movie. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Let me just try to say what I'm trying to say. He is Let me do one more thing. <laughs> about what's happening. Yeah. So he decides to come back to town and wait for it to happen. That's his plan. Yeah. To, to then get rid of this killer. Yeah. Um, And then eventually... So, at one point, too, the lady... Goes to another dude who was involved in this terrible night. Yeah. Who this guy now like works at a department store or like life oh, put I, together businessman well to do. Um, and they, their interaction is just very like also icky. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, he's kind of like, I was a kid, like I've moved past it. Mm-hmm. I, it was bad. I'm out. I don't care if other people die. Uh, leave me out of this. Mm-hmm. Go away. And she's just reminding him that he is not okay. Clock's ticking. Yeah. So then I'm just going to skip to his scene. So, yeah, yeah. This scene I thought was great. I thought so too. So he is in his garage. He is looks like he's getting a gun out. Like he is preparing. Yeah. Um. But this, and this was like uh, sorry to but but when he starts pleading with her. Yeah. Because you know she. I well, was going to get there. Okay, go ahead. So I'm he sorry. he's in his garage and she shows up unannounced, closes his garage door. And is holding a gun at him, pointing a gun at him. And yeah, he goes through all of the like absolute biggest cliches yeah. of justifying his actions. I was young. I was, they made me to do it. Yeah, I was uh, drunk. I didn't even know what I was doing. They, I didn't even like it. Um, he says, he says, it wasn't, could it have been like that bad? Was, is it bad enough to kill me? Yeah. And, this this I thought was pretty powerful and kind of I thought pretty forward for a movie in the eighties. Yeah. Because this seems like a message like it reminded me of Promising Young Woman, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Which like the whole movie's basically talk like discussing this idea of men doing like raping someone or something like that, getting away with it in college. Mm-hmm. And then and then, you know, it's like the the like Kavanaugh they're, they're, stuff. They're allowed to move on. Yeah, it's like, well, you can be a senator now as long as we can, like, pretty much keep this stuff mm-hmm. at bay mm-hmm. or uh, whatever, Supreme Court or whatever. Um, yeah. And and so it's like, it's not that bad as long as there's not, like, clues that, that connect you to the crime. I don't agree with that. I'm vehemently opposed to that. Uh, but but it's, you know, men have gotten away with that kind of thing for since the beginning of time. Yeah. Um, and so for a movie in the eighties to comment on that and say he is wrong and he doesn't get excused by his age being drunk or any of that, 
I mean, maybe it's not the most subtle thing in the world, but I felt like this is actually kind of progressive, like for the time to be like saying this message. I thought. Yeah. Now they're portrayed as pretty bad. Like there's no nobody's watching there's this no movie like siding with them. Yeah. But the fact that they brought up those excuses, I thought like that's kind of nuanced. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think? No, I I think I think I agree. I wonder if that has been like shown in a movie that way yet or anything. Yeah. I don't know. And and especially with the girl getting revenge. I think like in other movies like this in this time period, you're going to have like the guy come back and get revenge for the girl. Okay. You know? When did I when did I spin on your grave come out? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I think I've heard the title, but uh haven't seen it and don't big, know anything big about revenge it. revenge movie. Have you seen it? No. Jordan. And it's been remade. It's been remade. remade. <laughs> 1978. Oh, wow. Okay. Um Yeah, the, I mean, I don't know if I could watch this movie. Um, so, so what's the plot? An aspiring writer is repeatedly gang raped, humiliated, and left for dead by four men she systematically hunts down to seek revenge. And that's 1978. Oh, okay. Um, no, so, I don't know, though. I don't know how this movie handles it. Yeah. And then also last, or Cap, uh, the Wes Craven movie. Last House on the Left. Last House on the Left is also um, a sexual assault and, like, okay. revenge movie. Um, I have not seen the Wes Craven one. I saw the remake, and I can't even imagine watching any, watching it. Yeah. The original. I can't imagine watching this movie because I can't I can't I don't want to go through that. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't I don't know. But so it's like I, I don't know how those movies handle it though. Handle yeah. what we're talking about in this movie. Yeah. So so maybe my point about it being unique during this time frame might be incorrect, but but I, I still found it to be like a I guess sadly enough it felt like the message was still uh prescient today. Um, man, I'm hitting this, I'm hitting this so hard with my peas that it's making, it's making my pop filter bounce a bunch. We'll stop doing that. Sorry, listeners. So she kills him. She kills his, him. His pleading did not work. No. Um, as it shouldn't have, because none of it matters. Um, so she, she kills him. It's her next, that's claims her next victim. Yeah. And then do we get to the night? Like she goes to the next house. I know I'm skipping. Well, stuff, before but... that, her and Harry have a beer together, uh-huh. and sparks kind of fly. Uh huh. You said this could have been filmed more interestingly. Oh, that scene when they're, yeah, they're like at a restaurant outside, and it was just one line cut to the other person, one line cut yeah. to the other person. I think you just could have done it in a more interesting way with a scene where I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm like imagining what it looks like on a shooting script. Yeah. And it just is like pages, because it's a kind of a long conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it's just pages and pages and pages. Um, I just think there could have been a better way to do it. Uh huh. And also, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they they kind of get to know each other. Yeah, I think they sleep together after that. Not scene. this one. No. Okay. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but there's another time when they're at the beach together and they have a beer, and she he drives her home. Yeah. She asks if he wants something stronger than beer. Um, she, before this, she had just killed the lady. Yeah. And smashes the mirror in that house. Yep. And. Before she meets up at the beach with Harry, she smashes the mirror in her house. Yep. Um, and throughout the movie, she's painting this self-portrait that very is creepy. very haunting. Yeah, it's it's so this this is something we've talked about many times on the podcast. But when like you're watching a movie and there's art or uh-huh. a musician or whatever, and it, you know, especially when a art critic or something is like, "Oh, this is terrible." 
and you look at it and you're like, is it? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it looks good to me or whatever. And in this one, there's someone who's like, man, your art has such, like, distress in it, and but you're so kind. It's weird. And when I saw her art, I was like, oh, they're, they actually pulled it off. I, gen- I thought the same thing. I Because I was like, thing. this does look like a tortured soul created this art. Yeah. So I, th- I thought they actually pulled off that. It, that's such a hard detail to pull it off is. and stuff. And they did pull it off in this one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's starting to see the broken mirrors in both places. He's starting Doesn't to make a connection. Doesn't stop him from sleeping with her. I thought he sees the mirror after they sleep no. together. No. Oh, okay. Um, but he's like, I don't know, I don't know. And then they, she goes to the chief of police to get the son and kill the son. So that's when we find out that the son is like seems to be catatonic as well now. Yeah. So that night that everything happened, the son participated. Um, but the the his father is explaining for the son because the son cannot communicate anymore. Yeah. Like it ruined him. He attempted suicide. He attempted suicide because yeah. of it. Um, and he, he's basically dead. I think he even, doesn't he say something like, I almost wish I had let him go oh, through, I like punish himself. I don't remember him saying that. I don't know. He says something that's like, oof, that's Or sad. maybe I should have, but I think he meant that more from a justice standpoint. That's what I mean. Like, so that he can release his son of this. Yeah. Like supreme guilt. Um, so and, she's going to kill him, but she, she can't. Yeah. She can't kill this one. And, and this is interesting because now you see why the chief has been a little dodgy about everything. Yeah, and it's very interesting. It's a pretty interesting gray area because yeah. she is just killing... Her plan is to kill everyone that was involved. Uh-huh. And we've seen through everyone that everyone has moved on from that night. And it begs to reason, how many more nights have these people had like that? Yeah. Where they're just continuing this. Yeah. But um, when we see the sun... It, she, it's like the first time she's seeing one of those people who couldn't move on from it. Yeah. And it did ruin his life. And, and it does remind her of her sister. And it reminds her of her sister. But I do, it ma- makes me wonder if she's thinking like, I think he has been punished. Me shooting him is not going to yeah. punish him further. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then final showdown kind of. So the bad guys, the, the bad, bad guy. Bad, big daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows up with his friends, kills the chief, kidnaps her, takes her back to the pier, and they're going to recreate that night. Yeah. Um. I and she fights back a yeah. lot, and they they really beat her up, man. Yeah. Um. Harry shows up eventually, and well, before that, there's a really cool scene on the carousel where she's like hiding from them as yep. it's running, and That's, it does this long shot on a unicorn horn, and I was kind of like. Interesting. I yeah. mean, it, it's nice, but it's like like the action left the shot, and it stayed there for like three seconds. Yeah. It's just like weird. Yeah, almost like, I don't know, foreshadowing. Did you think that when you saw no, it? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. But that's what it was. I'm like, if if you thought that, no, that's I crazy. Didn't. I didn't. I'm not that dumb. But um, <laughs> Harry shows up, is chasing the guy. The guy has the girl. Um, Then they Harry gets him, kills him. Uh-huh. Fall his death is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Falls off the roller coaster, crashes through a, through a, through a window. glass ceiling, and lands on the unicorn horn. Yeah. Um and then, you know, everything's seemingly over. Well, also Harry gets to use that cool new Magnum yeah. gun. Um but she is, you know, it's like, okay, you know what I've been doing now. Like she knows uh-huh. that he knows. And that's when she's like, So what are you gonna read me my rights? 
And yeah. it's and she kind of goes gives a, a little speech of like just like why she did everything. Yeah. Because nothing justice was never served to her and her sister, so she yeah, took it upon herself to seek justice for them for herself and her sister. And um that's when you mentioned that the her her gun that she'd been using the whole time was found on the dude. Yeah, cuz he grabbed it from her. Yeah. And and Harry's ba- you know tells the guy like oh that's the murder weapon he must have been murdering all those people he's and like lets check her the bal- ballistics i bet that'll match up yeah and then it just goes to a an aerial shot movie's over <laughs> <laughs> so um that's uh, this was truly the movie that i would say dirty harry uses his magnum for force and he then enforces this sudden impact with this guy wow stretch <laughs> um so we did it yeah i uh, hope you enjoyed this episode mm-hmm. um do you want me to tell you what we're covering next jordan if you want to it's up to you don't we, we got, usually do it the second to last we do then you better tell it okay so for the listener i'm gonna do a plug and then you're gonna find out what our next series is so Go to patreon.com slash M-I-C-A-H-M-C-C-A-W and you're going to sign up for any tier, but you're probably going to want to sign up for, well, actually, they all have great benefits. So do that. Sign up. Uh, The lowest tier is less than one cup of coffee and you get bonus episodes and bonus music and bonus videos and the Seance concert film, all that fun stuff. Also, something else you're going to want to do Because we're recording so far in advance, but it's not too late. You are going to want to go to jordanmariemacawart.bigcartel.com. Yeah. Is that the correct URL? Yep. And you're going to want to get her ghost zine because it's freaking cool. Go ahead. My second coloring book is out by now. Oh, yeah. So you could get. We're recording this in July. Yeah. So get the coloring book. Um, and get the zine. If you didn't get the monster, how to befriend the monster under your bed zine, you'll want that too. You can get both for just 15 bucks mm-hmm. or you can get one for 10. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really cool. They were um, fun to make. Yeah. And they're both essential guides. And, and basically it's the kind of thing that, uh, it should, it should be like a million people should have bought it by now. That's how cool <laughs> it is. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Yeah, it's great. You're a great artist. Um, now, the series. So here's the other thing for the listener. We've been planning out our maternity leave, and I love making the calendar. It is, like, such a joy. It's maybe my favorite part about the podcast is just creating the calendar <laughs> and moving dates around. And so... He's like he's like Tom Cruise in Minority Report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have the gloves on and everything, and I'm, like, moving <laughs> things around. So um, I came up with the scheduling all the way to the end of our maternity leave, which is, uh, September, end of September. And I chose several series and Jordan is not aware of what these series are going to be. In some ways that is awesome that I don't have to decide in other ways that's concerning. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to be concerned, Jordan, because next, well, in two weeks, next week we're doing the Deadpool, which is the last dirty Harry movie. But then after that, we will be doing the first in a trilogy, and that trilogy is... you have any guesses? No. It is Pitch Perfect. Oh, okay. Interesting. What's your reaction to that? Um, I don't really care to watch them anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. 
Okay, I thought... Love that, that it's a trilogy, though. I thought it, that there'd be a different reaction to that. You but thought I'd be really excited? I thought you'd be like, oh, what... You know what how I feel about acapella? I thought you would be excited about, like, a totally wildly different series that, that is, is not a superhero series or love an action that. series. Don't love acapella, so <laughs> I'm glad there's only three of them. Yeah, so that is what we're covering. I'm so sorry for this reaction. Yeah, what a bummer. <laughs> and now we have two more series for you to react to. Uh-oh. So so the, the one, here's here's what I'll say for the listener. When did they make a third one? A little bit ago. Oh. And apparently the third movie turns into a spy movie like halfway oh, through. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, which seems true. hilarious. Yeah. So I'm excited to cover it. Um, but then, and listeners, guess away if you want. Go to our Facebook, uh, sign up to our Facebook and, and guess away or, or follow on Twitter and guess away. We're going to do another trilogy after that. Okay. Which I think you were going to be like, oh, Finally, that okay. I think you're going to be stoked about that. And then after that, we're going to do another trilogy. And wow. I think you're going to say, I've never heard of this. I don't know what this is. Awesome. And I think our entire audience is not going to know what it is. Perfect. Uh, not to belittle everybody, but I just think it's uh, not very well known. Well, you've really established how smart you are in this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm not smart. See you next week.